Hey, welcome to Sunday School. I'm glad you're here. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. You're listening to the Mills Sunday School Podcast. We are the College and 20-somethings ministry of New Life Church. But uh, we're continuing our series this morning on the book of Acts. And uh, last week we uh, talked about, we went through Acts 6 and 7, and uh, we had a great time talking about Stephen when he stands up and gives his address, and uh, he he charges the Israelites and charges the uh, council that he's standing before to remember the God of their story. And so last week we talked about how we are to remember the God of our story, remember his faithfulness, and remember all the good things that he's done for us when we're in seasons of trial. And uh, we're continuing this week, and uh, after Stephen gives this address, we see that he is stoned to death, and all the hippies are like, yeah, dude, getting stones in the Bible, I told you, yeah, but it's a different kind of stoned. And so Stephen, Stephen is murdered, and uh, then some really, really interesting stuff starts to happen in the early church, And uh, this brings us to our study of Acts chapter 8 and 9 this morning. So before we get going, let's pray and invite the Holy Spirit in to teach us according to what he wants to speak to us. So let's pray. Lord, we love you so much, and we thank you that we're your people, and that we're here, and we're a part of your church. God, we thank you that you can speak to us through your Holy Spirit, and through your word, and through community and each other. And we we just thank you for what you're doing in this place and doing in this house. Lord, we give this morning to you, and we ask that you would speak to us according to what you want us to hear. Lord, would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts to understand this morning, all that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. All right, so we're going to kick off this morning with a discussion question Um, in light of Last week, and what we talked about, and Stephen giving his address, and then um, dying and being murdered by Israel, um, our discussion question is this, that I want you to talk about in your tables. What is significant about Stephen's death at the end of Acts 7? There's multiple different answers here, so you guys can kick this around, but uh, what's significant about Stephen's death at the end of Acts chapter 7? All right? Go ahead. Ready, set, discuss. So when we look at the death of Stephen, there's a lot of different areas of significance. Some of you guys may have talked about, well, Stephen was the first martyr of the church. You know, he, he was the, the guy who kind of forged the way in this radical, um, I guess, worldview of, of what Christianity was and being willing to give his life. So that was a big one. Um, one that we're going to get to is uh, we see that the persecution of the church and the scattering of the church was actually because of Stephen's death. But uh, one of the biggest ones that I want us to talk about this morning is uh, Stephen's death was the third murder of Israel in the Messianic age. And what do I mean by that? Well, when we look back uh, during the Messianic age, we see that John the Baptist was the first one to be murdered, right? He was pretty much decapitated and imprisoned by Herod. And that was a sin against the Father who had sent John the Baptist as Jesus' forerunner. Just to break down a little theology for you theology nerds. Number two, the second murder was Jesus. Jesus himself comes. Obviously, we all know his story. He's preaching the word. He, he tells that the kingdom of God is near. He claims that he's the Messiah. And then he is murdered 
as a sin against the son. But then murder number three comes along and Stephen is the third one murdered. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's speaking truth. He's declaring the truth of the Messiah, showing what the church is and who God is through Jesus Christ. And he is murdered again. So the third time we see Israel murders three different people in this messianic age. And we've talked for the last few weeks about how the book of Acts is largely this book that documents the shift from Israel as God's chosen people to the church as God's chosen people. And so then with the death of Stephen, we see that this shift finally takes place. And now from Acts chapter 8 and on, it's the church who is God's work upon the earth. And the church is the one who, who is manifesting signs and wonders and who's speaking about uh, Jesus and who's bringing souls into the kingdom and who's being used by God for his work upon the earth. And so Israel now, with this third death of the Messianic age and after Stephen's death, is now set aside and the church is the one in the spotlight. So kind of interesting. But after this, we see that persecution, as we talked about before, breaks out. And that after Stephen is murdered, that Saul, this dude, goes on this rampage and starts persecuting the church. And so he, he starts with the church at Jerusalem, and he's like throwing people in prison. He's like murdering Christians. He, I mean, he, this dude is ruthless. And he's going after the church, and the persecution happens. And it says in Acts chapter 8 that the church scatters. And as a sower scatters his seed, the church scatters across the earth and is seed to the world and speaks of who Jesus is and, and wins thousands and thousands of souls for Jesus. And so we see that this persecution triggers this shift in God's plan for the world, but also um, it triggers this persecution where the church ends up being salt and light to the world. And we see that Saul is this chief of the persecution. He's the guy who's uh, making stuff happen. He's the guy who's persecuting the church at large. And we see that he then goes to Damascus because he says, you know, I've persecuted the Christians in Jerusalem, and I'm going to go after the ones outside of the city walls. So he hops on his horse. He has a, a written document from the high priest to go and persecute the people in Damascus. And he's on his way, and we all know the infamous story of the Damascus Road where Saul gets knocked on his butt, and Jesus reveals himself to him, and he has this radical encounter with God. And then we come to this story where the spotlight focuses in on this character, who is perhaps one of the most integral characters in all of Acts, but at the same time, he's probably one of the most overlooked, and that is Ananias. And so we're going to look at Ananias and his story in Acts chapter 9. So if you have your Bibles or your phones, let's turn to Acts 9 together and read the story of Ananias. Not the Ananias in Acts 5. He got, he got struck down. That dude's long dead. But the Ananias who's ministering to Saul, we're looking at another one. And we're going to look at uh, verse 10 through 19, okay? Acts 9, 10 through 19. Let's read this together. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. 
And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has the authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit." Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. And verse 19 says, So when he had received food, he was strengthened. Then Saul spent some days with the disciples in Damascus. And so as we look at the story, we see that God speaks to Ananias and tells him to go to this guy Saul at this certain house. Easy enough, right? Because he said that Saul's praying great. All right. The dude's praying. No harm, no foul. Awesome. This guy's going to be easy. But in fact, Ananias started freaking out a little bit. He said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. This guy might be praying, but this is Saul we're talking about. And we have to remember just how bad of a dude Saul was. Remember, Saul was persecuting the church at this time. Saul was going crazy with hatred for uh, these newfound Christians. He was going, he was throwing people in prison. He was murdering people. He was going absolutely nuts. He was this Judaist radical who genuinely thought that he was doing God's will by persecuting the church. And he seemed like this unstoppable guy who was chasing Christians down and persecuting them. And at this point, if anybody was to be considered an enemy of the church, it was Saul, right? Because Saul was single-handedly trying to take the church down. He was public enemy number one, kind of like Tom Brady and the Patriots to you Broncos fans. The public enemy, the guy who everybody hates, except Paul didn't deflate footballs and cheat his way into, you know, six Super Bowls, but, you know, just saying. But Paul is like on this rampage going after people. And so Ananias says, no, 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 wait, wait. Saul? And I'm using Paul and Saul interchangeably. Saul, no, no, no. God, wait. This guy, you know, is persecuting the church. But God says, nope, go to him anyway. And we see that Ananias is dealing with these questions and these struggles when he's going to Saul. And, and Saul at this point is the person who in the church's eyes had probably been written off as someone who is never going to be saved, and someone who there is no way that God can reveal himself to Saul. He's the persecutor of the church. He, he's taken us down. He hates us. There's no way that this guy is going to get saved. There's no way Jesus is going to reveal himself to him. And so the church largely, I'm sure, wrote Paul, Saul off to say, nope, that guy's not getting saved. And yet Ananias here is sent, and he's wrestling with this mission of going to Saul. And he's, he's kind of thinking, okay, well, well, what if he's actually not saved? Well, then I have a potential to die, and I might get thrown in prison. And so Ananias is dealing with these struggles and these questions, no doubt. But the thing that Ananias doesn't realize at this point is that God had been working behind the scenes in Saul's life this whole time. See, Ananias didn't know about the Damascus Road. He didn't know about God revealing himself to Saul when all the while God was behind the scenes speaking to Saul and drawing him and wooing him into a relationship with him and knocking him down on his butt and revealing himself. 
And Ananias has to take a step of faith, and he chooses, you know what? I'm going to do this. And so he goes, and he lays hands on Saul, and Saul is miraculously healed, and he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and then he goes off and preaches the gospel to the whole world. And so here we see that the person who was written off by the church— the person who was written off by the world, the person who was written off and chalked up as one who would never, ever, ever get saved, single-handedly becomes this poster boy of spreading the good news of Jesus Christ to the ends of the earth. This guy, Saul, who there's no way, he's too bad. He, 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 there's, there's absolutely no way he's going to get saved. It's, it's the Darth Vader story, if you will. The story where this dude is bad to the bone. This dude is, is too far gone. This dude can never become good. This dude is dark. How can dark become light, right? This guy is so off the reservoir, so bad, there's no possible way that he can become good. And yet, what do we see? We see him get changed. We see him be, be, uh, be, be knocked on his butt, and Jesus reveals himself to him. And so... The bad becomes good. Saul changes. And in this turn of events, Saul is radically changed to go and change the world. And the guy who was written off by the church goes and proclaims the gospel to the ends of the earth and is salt and light to Jesus. And it's amazing here because it all started with this one person. It started with Ananias. And Jesus revealing himself to Ananias and telling him, hey, go to Saul on Straight Street. Go to this guy because he's praying. And Ananias was freaking out and he's questioning and he's, he's struggling with, with going and, and the, the danger and harm that might come of it. But he took a risk and he put his fear aside and he said, you know what, Lord? I'm going to be obedient and I'm going to go after him and I'm going to tell him about you because you told me to. And you see this great reality that we need to come to grips with in this story is we need to realize that, that Jesus never viewed Saul as too far gone. You know, Ananias was going out and he was going to minister to Saul because Jesus recognized that Saul, no, he's not too far gone, but he's going to be used for my purposes. And this guy who the world wrote off, and this guy who even some people in the church, and, and the Christians, and the people who should have faith that people can change. This guy that was written off and who we think there's no way for him to change, no, I came and I died for him. And we see that Jesus never viewed Saul as too far gone. And in fact, Jesus died and he came for people like Saul. He came for the marginalized. He came for the people who were, were you know, belittled by the world. He came to the people who there is no possible way in our eyes that they're going to get saved. And yet what happens Jesus comes, he dies, and they get saved, and people are ministered to. And you know, some of you might have that story this morning. Some of you might have a story of you just being off the reservoir. And at one time in your life, you had your back towards God, and you didn't give a crap about him or about the church or anything, but yet God chased you down and changed you and revealed yourself, himself to you, and, and, he, and he wooed you into a relationship with you. Some of you might have that story. I'm sure a lot of us do. But today, I want us to think, and there's people all around us at school, at work, our friend groups, maybe even our families, who maybe we are guilty of writing them off. And we say, you know, gosh, I, I've, there's no way they're getting saved. Darth Vader, Saul, all those guys, they're too bad. 
they're too bad to be good. They're, they're just, they're off the reservoir. There's no possible way they can come into relationship with God. But yet Jesus came and he died for those people. And we see this, this biblical principle in this model that, that in fact those people do have the potential to be changed. And Jesus does reveal himself to them. And the people that we can overlook usually t- turn out to be the ones who God radically changes. So I want us to go to a couple passages of scripture right now as we're talking about this. We're going to see the two kinds of people that Jesus came for relating to this. And it's not going to be on the screen, but uh, let's go to Mark 2.17 first. Mark 2.17. Looking at the two kinds of people. Here's what it says. When Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have need of a physician. But, or, excuse me, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So here we see that Jesus came for the sick. Those people who, aka we would say, uh, will, those are the people who will never get better. They got this stuff going on in their lives. They're sick, they're off, and they're never going to get better. But Jesus says, no, no, no. In fact, I've come for the sick. And then he says something again in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. He comes for a second group of people. He says, let's start in verse 9. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. And here it is. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost. So here we see that Jesus, in fact, came for two people. He came for the sick, and he came for the lost. He came for those who we chalk up as, oh, they're never getting well. The sick. They're off. They're, they're, they're never getting healthy. They're spiritually dead. They're spiritually sick. There's no way that they can get well. And then he came for the lost, those who are far, those who are broken, those who are apart from a relationship with God, who we can think, eh, there's no way. Those people, they're too far gone. They're off the reservoir. They're lost. There's no way. But Jesus came for these people. And when we look at the story of Saul, I'm convinced that if Jesus could reveal himself to a person like Saul, And if he could bring someone like Saul into a relationship with him and change him and radically transform his life, then why can't he change anybody else around us? Why can't he change those people who were thinking, oh man, they're too far off. There's no way they're going to receive Jesus. You know, agnostic, atheist, they, they just don't, they don't care, they don't believe. But if Jesus could change Saul, then Jesus surely can change the people around us because Saul, man, he had it out for the church. He was persecuting the church, and yet he radically gets saved. And he can reveal himself to anyone, and thus we come to the scandal of the gospel. This scandal that, that's just, it, we don't expect it. It's, it's weird, and, it's, and it feels wrong to us. This Why would Jesus reveal himself to people who don't deserve it? Why would he go after people? Why would he chase people down? Why would he go after the marginalized and the people that are completely broken? It just doesn't make sense. But yet, that's the scandal of the gospel. Jesus coming, and a lot of us have stories like that, of, of being so far off, and yet God coming and intervening, and working on our behalf, and revealing himself to us. The scandal of the gospel. 
And so this morning, I want, I want to ask you guys, who are the people in your lives that are the Saul's? that you've written off or that maybe have been written off by the world or even by the church? Who are those people? Who are those people around you at your schools or your workplaces or in your families that are just written off and chalked up as, ah, there's no way they're coming to know Jesus. They're too far gone. They're way out there. There's absolutely no way they're getting saved. Who are those people? And what's holding us back from reaching them and from witnessing to them? What's holding us back from being the Ananias where we come alongside them and say, you know what? There is a Jesus, and I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to love on you, and I'm going to obey God's decree to be salt and light and witness to the people around me. Who are those people, and what's holding us back from witnessing to them? Because in Ananias' case, we see that if he had reached out to Saul, and Saul didn't get saved, and he didn't get knocked on his butt, on the road of Damascus, and he was in fact still a persecutor of the church, well, Ananias' very life was probably at stake, right? Ananias could most likely uh, get potentially thrown in prison or even killed by Saul. And so Ananias took a huge risk. But for us, we're not going to get like stabbed or killed if we start telling people about Jesus here. No, because there's people around us who Jesus is calling us to minister to, And he's called us to be salt and light and and go after the marginalized and go after the sick and go after the lost and go after those people who maybe it doesn't even make sense to go after, to go after those souls in our lives. And it's amazing because we never really know what all God is doing behind the scenes in somebody's life, right? Right? Just like with Saul, Ananias came and he had no idea what Saul was doing. He had no idea what God was doing in Saul's life. He, he didn't know the ways that God was working behind the scenes, and yet he chose to trust and believe, and it turned out that God had this master plan in place. And he was at work behind the scenes this whole time, and all it took was Ananias just stepping out and saying, yes. Yes, Lord, I'll, I'll be obedient. You tell me to go talk to him, I'm going to talk to him. You, you tell me to go be salt and light, I'm going to be salt and light. And he takes a chance, and he takes a risk, and he talks to Saul, And God was at work behind the scenes the entire time. Much like the people in our lives, who God's working behind the scenes. God's God's bringing people around them, uh, conversations, encounters with him to where they're questioning, wait, okay, is God real? This Jesus guy? Wait, there's something about this. And all this stuff, I'm sure, is happening behind the scenes, and yet we as the salt and light and people of God are just called to say, yes, I'll go after Saul. I'll speak to him. I'll witness. I'll be salt and light. You see, Jesus died for these people, for the Saul's of the world, for the marginalized, for the ones that are written off. And we as the church are called to show love and to be salt and light for them. And uh, me and my wife, JC, are currently in the middle of this with uh, one of our friends right now. And I can't give a lot of details, but uh, he's kind of turned his back and walked away from the Lord. And it's a situation where... It's so easy to just chalk him up as, you know what, he said no to God, he's walked away. Okay, that's it. Like, he's never going to say yes, he's never going to come back. And it can be so easy for us to think, ah, if we talk to him and if we witness to him, then then it's just going to be wasted and it's going to be spoiled. There's no possible way, you know, being faithless here, that God's going to make a way and that God's going to speak to him. But in reality, I'm thinking, but God, I'm surely, you died for him. 
You love him. You're working behind the scenes. And so it's my job to just say yes. And though it doesn't make sense on the outside, and though it's not an easy conversation to have, and though it's really not an easy person to love sometimes, I choose to say yes to your commands. I choose to be salt and light. I choose to go after the marginalized. So Lord, like help me. And we're having conversations, and we're, we're there for this person, and we're loving on him, and we're just having faith, you know? Like trusting God, saying, Lord, you have a way. Where there is no way, you make a way. It's possible. All things are possible with you. And so for us, it's good to remember, wait, Jesus died for the people around us. Yes, Jesus died for us, and we can be in this kind of euphoric, oh, Jesus loves me, and things are great, and it's true, but if we stay internally focused and not externally focused, well then we're, we're not doing our job as a church. We're not being salt and light. We're not loving the marginalized. We're not going after the sick and the lost. So Jesus is calling the church and us this morning to go after the marginalized. So uh, I want to lead us to another discussion. We're going to discuss this probably for a good amount of time, and then we're going to read one last passage. But I want us to really think practically about this discussion. Think about those people who are around you. Think about um, the situations around you, the people who maybe you've written off, or the people who are souls in your life. And I want you to think about them, and I want you to ask this question. Why do we have a tendency to think that some people are too far gone to be saved? Hmm. Why do you think we have this tendency? Why do we have a tendency to think that people are too far gone to be saved? Go ahead and discuss it at your tables, and then we'll pick it up and wrap up this morning. Ready, set, discuss. All right. I do want to make a point, because as we were in our table conversation, I realized, talking about witnessing and evangelism and all that, it can be so easy to equate that with like somebody standing on a street corner with a megaphone shouting like, y'all are going to hell, you know, turn or burn, that kind of stuff. But, but in all reality, I think true evangelism and witnessing happens in the context of relationships. It's, it's when you do life with somebody and you're, you love them and you have them over for dinner and you, you're doing life with them that then you have an open door to tell them about Jesus and to share as Second as Peter says, the hope that you have. And so I don't want us to, to equate evangelism with the megaphone analogy because we've all seen that. We've, we've seen the pamphlets. We've seen the megaphones. And not that that stuff is bad, and that's, that's not an ineffective way to evangelize, but I don't believe that's the most effective way. I think in the context of relationships, then people love you, you love them. Then in that place, you have a wide open door to talk about Jesus and to share your experiences with the Lord and all that. So I, I just wanted to make that clear so that there's not any, any weirdness with, uh, you know, that idea. Okay, let's, uh, let's stand together as we wrap up. Let's stand, let's grab our Bibles, and we're going to read a verse together. And uh, let's, let's turn to Matthew five fourteen through 16. And we're going we're gonna to read this, and let's just make this our prayer and our statement of faith for this next week. And sorry, we're actually going to go 13 through 16. All right, here we go. Let's read this together. Everybody ready? Ready? Good? Okay. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its flavor, how can it be seasoned? 
It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. This week, let us be salt, let us be light, let us be the Ananias to our souls. The Ananias who who obediently goes and shares the love of Jesus to all those around us. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you for this morning. We thank you for this truth that you can change even the worst of sinners. That's our story. Lord, it's, it's, it's who we are. We were sinners, but we've been changed by you. And God, if you can save Saul, then you can save the people around us. And so, Lord, we ask that you would use us as salt and light this week to show your love and your light to people around the city and our friend groups and our families and everywhere we go. Lord, let us be evangelists and be salt and light in the context of our relationships. We love you, and we thank you for who you are. Would you bless us as we go, keep us safe, protect us, and bring us back here next week safe and sound. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Everybody said, amen. We hope you've been spiritually encouraged by listening to this podcast. More podcasts and information about the College and 20-somethings ministry at New Life Church in Colorado Springs can be found at newlifechurch.org forward slash Sunday school.